My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It's my privilege to welcome you here. And I was thinking to myself last night, nobody's going to be here because of the time change. But look at you. you uh, all, all of you are, are pro set your clocks forward and lose an hour of sleep kind of people. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm glad you're here. You obviously love Jesus a lot, and that's why you're here. So uh, it, today's going to be an awesome day. Um, the, oh, what did you just, the last announcement you just gave was... The community care group is really, really cool. Um, Beth, you did a great job announcing that, but the community is coming to us and asking us for help doing stuff, and uh, this is really an answer to prayer for us. Uh, we celebrated our third anniversary last Sunday. We've been here three years, and uh, now the community loves us being in the community and uh, trusts us and is beginning to ask us for uh, our help participating in different projects. They have immediate needs come up once in a while, and that's kind of what they have in mind for us. So I love the fact they just they say, we, we, we just want to know if you're interested in that. And I said, absolutely. So, um, so it's really cool. This next one, though, is not a local outreach. This next one is a global outreach. One of the prayers that we've had for the last three years is that we would become a church that is globally active. To this point, uh, we have been praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, but we've not had an opportunity to be actually involved personally with what God is doing around the world. There are so many different areas of the globe that are suffering in different ways right now. One of them is Venezuela, and it's kind of fallen off the media news map because, uh, because of all the other things that, are, that seem to be taking its place. But Venezuela, if you've been tracking that for any length of time, you know that this is a country that is in great distress. The average income in uh, Venezuela right now is $3.50 a month. Uh, they are starving in Venezuela. The government has collapsed. Uh, there are hospitals available, but the hospitals have no medicine, and they are not clean. There's no drinking water in the hospitals. So you can imagine trying to run a hospital with no clean water. 90% of the hospitals are unusable in Venezuela. People are getting sick. There is no medicine available for them. There's no drinking water. There is food available, but the food is only available if you can afford it. And so if you're making $3.50 a month, you likely cannot afford food. So the crime rate has increased. Uh, there's some statistics that I, I wrote down this morning that I just wanted to read for you. Um, the average inflation reached 1 million percent in Venezuela this past year, uh, making most of Venezuelan population uh, nearly worthless. A study by the United Nations last week found that one out of every three people in Venezuela is unable to secure enough food to meet their basic dietary requirements. Uh, so people are trying to flee the country, and they're having a hard time getting out, as you can imagine. Four million have fled the country already. So we have been uh, aware of this. We have brothers and sisters in Venezuela. We don't know them. We've never met them, but they know the Lord, and so that makes them part of our family. So we have been praying for them and for the church around the world. Uh, but one of the ways that we have been excited to see the Lord work is that in this church, he just kind of opens doors for us. And if you've been tracking with us for these past three years, we haven't really worked very hard at anything at all. It's just kind of like the door, the door is opened by the Lord, and we've just walked through. And we've seen the Lord do some pretty amazing things, like this community involvement program that we're now part of. But this is another one, uh, this Hope for Venezuela project that we're starting. 
so let me tell you what, a little bit of what it is. Helen Gruitt is a part of our church family. Helen and Darren, they joined us last year as part of our church family. Uh, they have a wonderful little family, and they've been involved with us in, in several different areas. How did you come to know, was it through the National Night Out? No, it was before that, right? Yeah, I was, we were looking for a church, and we just Googled it. Looking for a church and Googled it. So Google can be used for good things. <laughs> and we were Village Church, uh, the Village Church Carol Stream, and they weren't holding services, and we're recommending people yeah. here. So there you go. So you happened upon us, and now you're a big part of who we are. Helen is Venezuelan. And uh, Helen grew up in, in Venezuela, and she has a church down there where she has uh, left and come here, and she has family down there. She has a door into this church down there. And this church just happens to be uh, involved in meeting the needs of their community. They're very community-oriented, called University Church. And uh, the pastor's name is Gustavo, and we've been emailing him back and forth, asking, how can we get involved in what you're doing? So, I, so we asked them, what have you been doing? They have been doing a ministry where they provide lunch and dinner to families um, that obviously have no food. And they have been running this ministry for some time, but because their church, like everybody around them, is influenced, impacted by this increasing inflation and decreasing wages, they're unable to continue this ministry. They shut it down. They have uh, put their attention toward the university students, uh, where they are pro providing food as much as they can, but mainly medicine. Uh, and so they've kind of let this ministry go by the wayside, and they're praying for the Lord to do something. And when we found out about it, I thought, this is a good project for us. So I don't know if this is... Uh, sat, we sat down with the elders, we talked about it, we prayed about it, and... I don't know if this is something that really gets in your gears and makes you excited, but it does for me, and, so, uh, and it does for the elders. And so we decided that we're going to kind of lay it out there for you and see if you're interested in it as well. So for the next five Sundays, every Sunday from here till Easter, we're going to have a collection, a voluntary collection. This is above and beyond your tithe. If you would like to give to this project that we're calling Hope for Venezuela, there's a little black box in the back. You can see it right back there by the door. That's what that black box is for. And Helen is going to kind of help us with that. And uh, uh, John is going to oversee this as well. John, raise your hand up so everybody can see it. There he is. Um, John's one of our elders, and he's going to oversee it. And we're going to take a collection. We're going to count it up at the end of the, the time, up to Easter. We're going to give you a total how much we, we've raised, and then we're going to send it down there. I, t I asked Pastor Gustavo, I said, well, how much do you need for this ministry to, do, to do, actually do it? And uh, he said, Craig, well, it's about four, uh, well, all together for food and medicine. Food is like $400. Medicine is $200. He said for food and medicine for a month, it's about $600. So I am very excited for the possibility of helping him reopen this ministry. Uh, we're also looking to get the money down there through, through uh, careful and cautious means, using means that other churches are using to get down there because the government is completely corrupt. And uh, so we have, we have wonderful ways of making sure our money is safe and delivered to the right place. And if you have any questions about that, you're more than welcome to talk to me or one of the elders. Uh, we'd be glad to, uh, to talk to you about that. Uh, but this is a project we're calling Hope for Venezuela. And we're hoping that you see the need as well and see this opportunity to reach out and bless our brothers and sisters that are uh, dealing with all of these very difficult, uh, difficult life situations. If you're giving cash, it goes right in the box. Everything in the box will go. 
if you're putting in a check, um, please write it out to Village Church East and put in the line down there, the little uh, subject line, uh, Hope for Venezuela. It'll get to the right place. Uh, if a check is in the box, it's going to go to Hope for Venezuela, just so you know, all right? And we're also going to have online giving. So if, you're, if you forget about it and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I should really, or the Lord blesses you with a, with a windfall tax return. <laughs> yeah, and everybody laughs. <laughs> and you think to yourself, you know, I should give some of this to Venezuela. You can do that online. All right, so we're providing all these different ways for you to get involved with this. Again, it's only till, till Easter, and we'd love to give them enough, uh, enough money that they can actually keep this ministry going at least for a couple more months. Um, Helen, I want to ask you to come up just so you, you can meet Helen. She is a, Darren, you want to come up too? Do you need support? Do you need your husband's sure, support? Yes, Are you sure? Yes. I'm enough, but yeah. yeah all right. Know. So this is Darren too. Yeah. All right. So this is Helen and this is Darren. Helen, tell us, just tell us just briefly about your church. Yes. Uh, University Bible Fellowship is a ministry to reach our college students. I met the Lord through them when our church was 15 members only. And right now we are over 150. The majority are college students and young people. And, um, and the ministry also is focusing now for the necessity to reach out to others uh, through food and medicine. So they also have their parents, the, the student being parents, friends, and, and, her, and her sibling, their siblings. So it's a beautiful community. And they love the Lord. They are very passionate to serve uh, other uh, like orphans. They visit also orphans and preach the gospel to them. So, yes, that's our ministry there. That's exciting. And you came to know the Lord through this ministry. Yes, I did. Which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren, you know this ministry? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything definitely. you want to add to it? Well, I'm thankful because that's where I met her, my wife. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a, a short-term uh, mission trip there, and uh, yeah, it's it's we're really excited about this. This is uh, wonderful. She's very passionate about helping Venezuela. Uh, we feel very uh, helpless in a lot of ways because of the things that are there and uh, uh, the things that are going on. And so uh, to see this uh, partnership is really amazing, actually. What I love about this is that the church down there loves to do what we do. They network with other churches to meet the needs of their community. And uh, I love that their heartbeat is very similar to ours. Yes. So, uh, so now we're helping be, you know, we're not in their exact community. We're a little farther away. Yeah. But I'm glad that we can do this. Anything else you want to add? Well, yes, thank you. And Gustavo Prato, the pastor there, he's very young. He's 35 years old, and he has a lot of heavy burning in his heart and his shoulders. So I pray that you may pray for him. And uh, he also said thank you to all of you that God has put in your heart to pastor and, and his wife and many others to reach out to, uh, in this case, Venezuela. And uh, I see that the Lord will, will do amazing things. So we, we are thankful, and we praise you, and thank you so much for that awesome very cool well listen i want to pray for you and your family uh and then for the extended family down there in uh in the church all right church would you pray father we are grateful for uh the opportunity we have in this uh in this world in which we live where we can become globally minded so easily uh sometimes we don't take advantage of it like we should it's because our lives are really hectic and full of stuff but it's good to be reminded, Father, that we can, we can reach so far around the world um, through these simple means and bless so many people. People we'll never see, people we may never meet, and yet we know that they are in need, and we know that you love them, and we know that we can help. 
So, Father, I pray that you would burden us uh, in the way that we should be, not just for Venezuela, but for your ministry that goes on all around the world, for Christians that are persecuted for their faith in many countries, uh, for Christians that are starving, and for, uh, for those in Venezuela particularly. Lord, may you watch over them and give them grace. Provide for their needs. Help them to know they are loved, even though they may feel like they are forgotten. And, Lord, we pray that the church in America and the church in, in these other nations around the world where we don't suffer the persecution like those do. Father, I pray that we would remember not just to pray for our brothers and sisters, but to help them through every means we can. Thank you for this opportunity. May your hand be upon it. May we bless this church. May we bless this young pastor. May we bless this church of people that are hungry to reach into their communities to meet these real, real real-time needs. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right. You ready to look into Moses again? All right, me too. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Exodus chapter 3, whatever LCD screen you choose to use this morning. We are in Exodus chapter 3, starting a brand new section on Moses' life called Called. Uh, You thought I said that twice. But it's called Called. Uh, Let me tell you about a story that shaped my life. Do you remember the stories your mom, your dad, maybe, maybe one more than the other, used to read to you out of little storybooks? Do you remember any? And any of those stand out to you? There's a couple in my mind that stand out, and I can almost see the covers of, of those stories. Yeah, did, maybe your mom still reads to you out of the, out of the books. I don't know, but, <laughs> but if that's the case, God bless her. But uh, there's some stories that I can remember from my childhood that stand out more than others, and one of them is... The Little Engine Who Could. Do you know this story? Yeah, okay, all right. So The Little Engine Who Could is this little caboose that was pushing this train up a mountain. And he, I, don't, I don't remember if he was going to a party or he was going somewhere. And he kept getting like his friends on board. And the train kept getting heavier and heavier. And then he got to a mountain and he had to get over the mountain. And he starts up the mountain and he's thinking to himself, I think I can. I think, you remember this? I think I can. And as he gets like halfway up the, the mountain, he says, I know I can. I know I can. And I can remember my mom reading it to me and just going, Craig, he knows he can. He knows he can. I go, yeah, go caboose. You can make it. And he finally gets to the top of the hill and then you know he slides down and they make it to the party and now I look at the cover of this book and it freaks me out <laughs> look at those friends in the little in the little caboose cart there yeah uh, I wonder sometimes why I have nightmares about clowns I think I just figured it out Love the book so I went into my life thinking to myself I think I can I think I can and I handled every situation with that same determination I think I can, I think. And then I get some successes and I think to myself, or close to successes, and I think to myself, I know I can, I know I can. I'm beginning to think like this little book might have formed my character more than I thought it did. Because I think a lot like the little caboose that thought he could. And then life it. And I got into situations where I thought I could and I couldn't. And I got into situations where friends got sick and I thought they could and they couldn't. And I got into situations where friends abandoned me for one reason or another, and, and I, I kept thinking to myself, I can fix this, I can fix it, I think I can, I think I can, and I never could. So life kind of drains that, that determination out of you once, once you have so many failures that you experience, and you begin to doubt your ability 
to actually get up the hill, much less start rolling down the other side. And the more I couldn't, the more I began to believe I can't in the future. When failures visit, the doubt over what God could ever use us for begins to take a toll on our faith. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've experienced so many failures that you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I can anymore. If that's your case, if you've ever been there, and I would venture to say without being too presumptuous that maybe most of us have been there. Failures have begun to define us instead of determination and positive thoughts. Life kind of drags you around that way by the tail once in a while. Moses is right here. This is where we find Moses today. He has tried to take the reins and rescue his people. He has chosen sides. He chose to say goodbye to Egypt, and he chose to say hello to his people, and he tried to do it the wrong way. Leading them out as a hero of Israel, but failing where none of them would respect him. He murdered the Egyptian, thinking to himself, I'm going to make my stand here. And Israel responded and said, "Ah, that's not how people who follow God act. Pharaoh's after him to kill him. The Israelites couldn't care less about him. And he runs for his life to Midian. He moved too impetuously. He let his emotions take over and he murdered. And he is a man now with no identity. And today we are invited to look over Moses' shoulder and to see an amazing sight a bush that is burning but never burns. We're invited to hear an amazing voice, the voice of God. And then we are invited to see and, and feel this amazing fear rise up in Moses' heart. And he has to address the question that every person asks after every failure. And that is, can God still use me? Look at verse 1. This is where we jump into the story. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Do you know what Horeb, the mountain of God is? Take a stab at it, I bet you knew. Yes, this is Sinai. Moses is now fully Saudi. He's living in Saudi Arabia. He has run all the way from Egypt through the Sinai Peninsula, all the way to what we now know as Saudi Arabia, living in Midian. He is married to a Midianite, and he has spent 40 years as an Arab. He has spent as much time becoming an Arab as he has becoming an Egyptian. He is now 80 years old. He's in charge of his family's main income. Jethro says, okay, we've got all these sheep. He he seems to be somewhat wealthy. And so he gives the charge of the sheep to the charge of his income, you know, his wealth, to Moses. Moses takes them out. It seems to be some drought in the area or something because they are a long way from home. Probably this is about a four-day journey. So Moses is looking for pasture to feed these sheep. And this is where we find him this morning, near the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, or what we know as Sinai. And any time you come near to Sinai, you know something good is going to happen, or something spectacular. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
Now let me tell you a little bit about this angel of the Lord. If you've ever seen this in scripture, it's all the way through the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord said this, the angel of the Lord showed up in a burning bush. This angel of the Lord is a unique, uh, a, a unique phrase that seems to indicate that this is more than a normal angel. Because if it's Gabriel, we're going to call him that. If it's, if it's uh, um, Michael, thank you, we're going to call him that. But if it's an angel of the Lord, this seems to be something that, that is different than the other things. And this one specifically is different, and we're told why, which is very, very exciting to me. A little bit of theology in this. Uh, the, the ancient church looks at this, including John Calvin and many, many other church fathers, and they say, the angel of the Lord, this is another name for Jesus Christ. So Jesus has not been born yet. We don't know what his name is, right? Nobody knows what his name is. Nobody has even thought of a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He hasn't been born yet. But anytime you see God in human form, he must necessarily exist in the person of Jesus Christ in one way or another. Why? Because God is spirit, and the Holy Spirit is... The Holy Spirit is... is there, it's right in the Word, right? So God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. God, the Holy Spirit is spirit. If you're seeing God, you're seeing Jesus. He's the only part of the Godhead that is, that is uh, physical form. Verse 4, it's interesting. <clears throat> we'll get there in a minute, but it uses two words for this angel of the Lord. One is Yahweh, and one is Elohim. Elohim means God of gods. This also is interesting because... <clears throat> Later, when the angel of God shows, uh, uh, is explained to us further, he explains that he is the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll get to there in just a minute. But uh, <clears throat> just to say, if you are under the impression that Jesus never made claims to be God, you should open the Bible and read it. Because I would put money on the table to say that you have not read Scripture. Because it is everywhere through Scripture. You want to start anywhere, uh, somewhere? Start with the Gospels. Start with John. Jesus is claiming to be God all over the place. That's why they constantly wanted to stone him and get rid of him. It's because he was blasphemous. He was saying he was God. And people were looking at him going, I've never seen God before. <laughs> right, because you'll die if you see God. So, so they think to themselves, you're just a human being. Watch, I can hit you in the face and you're going to, you know, you're just human. I can, you feed, you, you bleed, you, you're just human. And yet this human being was claiming to be God. In fact, in John chapter 14, Thomas says, listen, just show us the Father and, and we'll believe. Just show us God and we'll believe. And you know what Jesus said to him? Thomas, 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 have I been with you so long, three years, and you still say, show us the Father? You look at that God, God here. Always making claims to be God. Jesus is in the Old Testament as much as he well, not as much as he is in the New, but he's in the Old Testament all over the place as well. He just doesn't have his name yet, because he hasn't been born. Gabriel's not told Mary, you call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was not revealed, so when Moses wrote this in the Pentateuch, he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know the name. We all know the name. We just sang about it this morning, the name. You know, there's no other name, you know. We know that he didn't. So when he's writing the Pentateuch, he writes angel of the L-O-R-D, capital letters, angel of the Lord. Let me explain to you a little further. Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight in verse 3, why this bush is not burning. This is just curiosity. Hey, there's a bush burning, but there's no ash on the ground. That's really weird. 
I should go see. Like when you burn something, it usually falls apart. It deconstructs a bit. This one was not. So he goes over, he hears the crackling, he sees the bush, but it's not burning. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, Lord, there is Yahweh. Yahweh is God the Father. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, that's the word Elohim, God, the God of gods, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Apparently this bush is full of people. That's because this is not an angel. This is the God that we serve, the God that we know is true. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three separate um, characteristics, three separate uh, identities, persons of the one Godhead. And they're all here. Moses has lots of idols, and so he doesn't know how to handle this particular God. He knows a lot of different gods. So in verse 5, this God talks to him a little differently. Listen to this. Then he said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Now Moses has seen a lot of idols. There's, there are a dime a dozen in Egypt. There's all kinds of them. And wait till we get to the plagues. You're going to love all the different gods that, that you're gonna, we're going to find in Egypt. And they're all whacked out. They're all, they all look really weird, but they all have specific jobs. But none of them, none of them, require you to take off your sandals, and none of them claim to be holy. Why not? Because holy means something completely different. In fact, holy means something completely different. God is identifying himself visibly before a human being for the first time since the Garden of Eden in this burning bush. And two... He's identifying himself as holy. In the Bible, only the true God claims to be holy. Do you want to know what the word holy means? Holy in the Old Testament is kadosh. In the New Testament, it's agios. Uh, You don't care about that other than you should know. They mean exactly the same thing. Greek, Hebrew, they both mean set apart. So anytime you see the word holy, you're reading set apart. This God in the bush is claiming to be set apart from all other things around it. All other gods that Moses has seen before. This God is claiming to be holy, completely different. And whatever this holy God, this unique set-apart God touches, apparently is also made holy. So Moses has to take off his shoes because the ground upon which God has descended is now consecrated ground. Moses has never seen anything like this before. Moses is at this point called to understand that whatever he thinks of the gods of this world, this God is unique, set apart. There's no other God like this one. We are called, listen church, we are called to reject the notion of the world that makes us think that there are more than one God. There are more than one God's. And it is not an item that makes a thing holy. It's not the cross around your neck that makes you holy to God. It's not the fish on your car that makes you God's possession. It's not the statue in your home that, God has set you, that, that, that makes God set you apart for anything. You are holy. Now, this is going to blow you away. You are holy. If you follow Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, God's presence has descended on you, and you are holy. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, 
Craig, you, you don't know what I've done this past week. No, maybe not. But if you follow Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are holy because your sins have been eradicated. Not just the sins of your past or the sins that you're doing now, but all the sins of the future as well. When God's Spirit descends on something, that thing is made holy. We don't carry rabbit's feet around with us hoping they will bring us good luck. It's not the rabbit foot. It's not the cross. It's not the fish that makes a thing special. It is whatever God's presence touches, descends, fills, that makes that thing holy, set apart. Now, I just want to take some time to talk about this even a little bit more than I have because this will rock your world. 1 Peter 2.9, this is in the New Testament. Peter's writing to the church, he's writing to us, and he says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a what church? Holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you know what that's saying? You are holy. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've given your life to him, if you follow his teachings, you are a royal part of a royal priesthood. You're a part of the family. Just like the family we're helping in Venezuela, with Hope for Venezuela, those Christians down there, they are part of the priesthood of God. You are a priest. Isn't that crazy? When you read Scripture, God calls you holy, set apart. He sanctifies you. He fills you. He makes you His own. And if He does that, you belong to Him. And if you belong to Him, no sin can ever take you away. You are a priest. So I ask you, church, are there women priests? (laughs) Yes, there are. Yes, there certainly are. Are there children priests? Yes. Are there ancient, I'm sorry, are there older (laughs) priests? Yes. Are there younger priests? Yeah. Are are there priests that can't speak English? Are there priests made of different, with different colors and different shades in, in the world, living around the world? There's priests all around us. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are set apart. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. This, again, if you're wondering if this is true, I invite you, just crack open the Bible and read it. Don't take what somebody says for granted. Read it. I'll give you a couple of verses because I know you, don't, you probably don't believe me. Uh, when in the New Testament, there are books that are written, letters that are written to the churches in the New Testament. They're written to the church at Colossae or the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus or the church at Galatia or the church at Philippi. These are all letters that are written. We call them Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We call them those names because those are, that's where the letter started at. We read from that because we receive what they received from these apostles and from the Holy Spirit through the inspiration of Scripture. Do you know how most of them start out? Most of the books in the New Testament, most of the letters in the New Testament, all start out to the saints at the church at Galatia, to the saints at the church at Corinth, to the saints at the church at Philippi. Do you know why? Because if you know Christ as your Savior, you is a saint. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are set apart. You are not because of you, but because God's presence in you makes you holy. You're set apart. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the, what's the next word, church? 
fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love it. Moses is learning that it's not what God has put into his pocket or what he has put into his pocket or a symbol that God is going to give him to wear around his neck or carry with him. What matters is the God who is and the God who is will go with him, will dwell with him and make him holy, set apart. So church, I tell you, it's not because of who I am. It's because of who God is. He can use me. God calls us, church, to make the spaces around us holy. Just like that burning bush made the space around it holy, and Moses had to take off his shoes, church, we are called to make the spaces around us holy. That's why people will look at you and they'll say, you're a bit of a Bible thumper, are you? You just look at them and go, I'm doing my best to create a holy space here. I invite you to walk over here and become a part of the holy space. Take your shoes off before you come over. No, don't, 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 don't tell them that. First Peter 1.15 But as he who called you is holy, you also, church, read with me, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Isn't that great? We are called to create holy spaces, set-apart spaces. And so I tell you that if you're struggling with sin on your computer, you need to look at your computer and say, is this space consecrated to God? If you're struggling with, with sin with where your car goes, you need, to, you need to think to yourself, is this car consecrated for God? Is this car holy? Is the spaces where I put this car holy? If you're married... And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my spouse just doesn't get it. It is up to you to create a holy ground where they understand when they come near you, you exude humbleness, worship, praise to God. You'd be amazed at what happens when you, when you begin this process of creating holy spaces. All right, verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. No angel, church, no angel is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You get that? So if you're thinking to yourself, Craig, I don't see an angel, in, or I, I just see an angel in this bush, now you've got a major problem. Not just in the wording, but now in the introduction. This angel of the Lord now claims to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses knew it because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, Oh, I love this. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. God is holy. He is worshipped for his uniqueness. He is the only true one and only God. But church, he is not so transcendent that he doesn't visit us in our suffering. He is not so transcendent that he doesn't know what we're going through. He is not so transcendent that he's forgotten how many hairs are on your head. God is both transcendent, meaning that he is this holy God, unique. No other God like this God. There are no other gods, period. But he is intimate enough that he knows exactly where you are today. He knows. He sees. He cares. You see, every other God on this planet requires something from you. 
This is really key. Moses is used to all of these gods that make requirements. If you want it to rain, sacrifice a child. Can you believe societies did that at one time? If you want something from God, you've got to give something to God. You've got to prove your worth. And once you prove your worth, God will come through. We live in a world just like that today. But I want to tell you that is not the God of the Bible. It absolutely is not. God does not make requirements on us. The God of the Bible is not a God who takes. The God of the Bible is a God who constantly gives. And that's the difference between the one true God and the gods all around us. Gods of this world demand, but the one true God does not. He simply will come and do something because he hears the cry of his people. Doesn't that pull at your heartstrings a little bit? Who do you respond to when you just hear them whimper? When I was several years ago, I, Beth and I were out doing a late job that we had to do and we came home like in the middle of the night because we were both involved in this and so we choose, chose to sleep downstairs because we didn't want to wake anybody up we had somebody there watching the kids Karis was really young at the time I was struggling with vertigo anybody ever experienced vertigo? it is a wacky thing, right? so I'm experiencing this vertigo and so I lay down, we go to sleep we're sleeping on the couch downstairs all of a sudden I hear in the middle of the night Beth doesn't hear it because she can sleep through a freight train coming through the middle of the house. But there's something about me that I, I can't, if something's weird in the house, I hear it. And there was a little whimper upstairs and I didn't know what it was. All I knew was somebody's in trouble and nobody's helping them. So I got to be here. I got to help them. I sprang off of the bed and I started running toward the stairs. Now you should know downstairs we have a stairway and then we have a wall right next to the stairway there's a wall on this side and there's a wall on this side and there's a stairway here and so I get out of bed I'm running toward the stairs but my vertigo kicks in and I immediately begin running sideways and I ran smack dab face first full throttle right into the the, into the wall and I smacked against I fell down I was thinking to myself, if somebody had to tape this, this would have looked really, really funny. I totally missed the staircase, all right? Why did I tell you that story? I have no idea, but it's a great story. God responds to the whimpers of his people, just like a heart of a parent would respond to the whimper of a child. You leap out of bed, you run into walls, whatever you need to do in order to meet that need. Although God is completely holy, He is completely intimate with us. He is completely interested in us. And He hears every single whimper. God is about to meet the needs of these Israelites just because they cry out to Him. I love that about God. He sees, He hears, and He's going to do something. If you're listening, if, if you're worshiping a God who's always making demands on you, ready to thrash you in a moment when you fail, you are not worshiping the God of Scripture. God is keeping His promises to Abraham and his descendants, and now He's inviting Moses into it. Moses, you are going to do this for me. I have made them into a great nation, but they're in slavery. They need to be rescued. They need to be taken to the promised land, the land that I promised them. They're in Egypt. That's not it. Get them out. Moses already tried to be that guy, but he failed. And in Moses' mind, he has disqualified himself. Look what God says even further in verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. Don't you see this heart of a father here? 
And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Exodus is to the Old Testament what the cross is to the New Testament. God hears their cry and God provides rescue. And it's interesting that the last plague that we will discover, the tenth plague, is the plague, the death of the firstborn. Most of us think to ourselves, well, the Israelites, if they put blood on the, on the sides of their door and blood on the tops of their doorposts, that they would be overlooked by the angel of death. He would, he would look over. He would pass over. This is where the Jewish people get the word Passover. This is why they celebrate Passover to this day. The, the angel of death would pass over those houses. And we think to ourselves, well, if the Hebrews did this, they were good to go. Did you know in Scripture, if anyone did this, they were good to go? Did you know when the children of Israel left Egypt, they took a bunch of Egyptians with them? You know why? Because Exodus is to the Old Testament what the cross is to the New Testament. The cross is for all who would believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. It doesn't matter whether you're from Venezuela or America or where. Canadians can get in on this. And in the Old Testament, the same truth. And it's also interesting that if you are obedient to God's commands and you put blood on the sides of your doorposts and on the top of your posts, on the top of your doors. Get that? If you put blood on the sides of your doors and on the top of your doors. If you put blood on the sides of your doors and the top of your doors. The angel of that death would pass over you. I want to tell you the symbol is the same. In the Old Testament, the symbol is the same. The cross is to the New Testament what Exodus is to the Old Testament. And God would provide rescue from all who would believe. Verse 10. So he says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, this is the hard part. You've got to go face your failures. Your greatest fear, your greatest regret, your greatest failure, your greatest sadness, the family you left behind, the deepest secret that you, bid, that you, that you dug six feet into the ground hoping nobody would see. You killed the Egyptian and buried him. You've got to face all those failures and go back. And you're going to go as a sheep herder now. Not as the prince of Egypt. You're going as a shepherd to talk to a pharaoh and say, let God's people go. There's no pain wasted by anyone willing to let God redeem a church. Your past pain may well be your future ministry. God is now ready to use this man. The question is, is Moses ready to be used? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, and this is what we all say, right? What is it, church? Three great words. Who am I? It's rhetorical. He didn't mean, who am I? I don't forget my, I forget who I am. You know, it's not, who am I? Where did I get here? How did I get here? He's saying, who am I? Who have I created myself to be that you would be able to use me? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And I want to tell you, church, we're going to get into <coughs> eight excuses Moses gives to God for why he shouldn't be the guy. It's going to be fun. And you know what, church? Who among us would blame him? When God calls us to walk back into a failure from our past and be a witness for him, isn't the first thing we say, you know, I think you got the wrong guy. 
This is why a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown so well. It's because everybody who watched you grow up knows you. And if God changes you and you go back and you say, God's changed me, they'll go, no, we know you. Right? It's hard. God knows that. Moses does too. So verse 12. He said, God said, but I will be with you. <laughs> and this shall be the sign for you. I've sent you that you have brought, that you will, uh, that you, oh, sorry, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses simply asks, who am I that I should go back? And God's answer is, there is no answer. His answer is, I'll go with you. Who am I? I'll go with you. Who am I? I'll go with you. Isn't that great? The point is, church, because of who he is, God can use me. I have to think, about what, what kind of an answer is that? Who am I? Well, you're Moses. You, you floated down the Nile one day, and some girl picked you up and raised you, and you were in... You were in did you forget who you were, Moses? I got, I got a whole history here. We can go over it if you've forgotten. Moses says, who am I? What he meant is, who have I become that you're giving me this responsibility? And God says, and his answer is not to answer Moses at all. His answer is simply, I'll go with you. <laughs> I'll go with you. You may think because you said those words, you're useless in that relationship. I may think because I failed these people, they'll never respect me. I may think because I struggle with this sin, God will never hear me. I may think because my family saw me fail, God will never restore me. I may think because I sinned that drastically and that publicly, God could never use me. I'm surprised he's even willing to forgive me. Moses struggled with all those same doubts, all the same questions. And church, the answer is it doesn't depend on you or your successes. It depends on who goes with you. It's simply because God is willing to use you. So God creates a save the date for Moses. He says, when it all comes to pass, come and see me. I'll be here at this mountain. In the meantime, I'll go with you. So church, my first question to you is, who are you? Who are you? You've made yourself into something for the last 10, 20, 40, 60 years. Who are you? Because it doesn't matter. If you found that you faltered under failure, leaving God in the peripherals, it does not matter. Who am I is a good question. God agrees, by the way, with the question. One of my favorite verses in Galatians 3, 6, 3. Listen to this. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is what? Nothing. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nada, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Why? Because without God, we risk meaninglessness. But if you start, listen, the graveyard is full of yous. There's yous all around you. But if you start with God, God can really do something with you. Don't start with you. Start with what God can do through you. John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Church, say this with me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not who am I. It's who is God. 
It's not, what can I do? It's, who's going with me? Because of who he is, God can use me. It's really the weirdest argument in the world. Who am I? I'll go with you. It's like the dumbest argument in the world. Who am I? Answer the question. No, the only answer is, I'll go with you. Because apart from me, you can't do it. This is the answer of Israel facing a sea in front of them and the army of Pharaoh behind them, intent on feeding the ground with their blood. This is the answer David needed when he took a tiny stone and threw it at a big giant. This is the answer Peter needed after denying Jesus so often he thought he was done, unusable for anything but fishing. Who am I? I'll go with you. And this is the answer we need when we begin to think the heights can't be crossed, the water's too deep, and the mountain can't be moved. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who goes with you. So number two is, God is with you. (laughs) I love it. God is with you. What if the calling of, of God has nothing to do with your giftedness or your, or your abilities at all? What if it had everything to do with him and you're just like a tool to be used? The bottom line is, you don't have to be the little engine who thinks he can. You just have to be available for God to do it through you. You are the ambassador of God. The promise of God goes with you because... He can use you. Your confidence is in him, not in you. And one of my other favorite verses, I mean, as I'm putting this together, I'm going, verse after verse, I had to erase a ton of verses out of here, but gave you my favorites. Here's one of my favorites. Philippians 4 through 13. You know this one? Say it with me. Say it with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, what can you do? What can you do? All things. Right? I mean, God says it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The more God wants for you, the more he wants you to do, the more people he wants you to bring to Christ, he'll go with you. It's all over scripture. By the way, that's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. Did you you celebrate Christmas just a couple months ago? Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. And when Jesus came, he came to be with us. And when he left, he said, I'm leaving you my Holy Spirit, and I'm with you. That's why it's great to be a a part of this church because the church is not the building. The church is the people. God dwells in you. You belong to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are brothers and sisters together. We are brothers and sisters around the globe with people in Venezuela. Why? Because we are family. Christ's spirit makes us family. We are holy, set apart, saints of the household of God. So number three is, now go deliver. Go do something. Wouldn't it be mind-blowing if Jesus talked to us the same way today? I mean, he's in the bush talking to Moses about this, yeah. But wouldn't it be cool if he did that for us today? He does. One of my favorite verses. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven on earth has been given to me, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, church, say it with me, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now you may have read that and said to yourself, wait a minute, am I supposed to be making disciples? Yes, that's why I actually threw it up on there. See, the point is, we're not just filled with God's presence so that he goes with us. We're filled with God's presence so that he can use us. And you know what he wants to use us for? to get more people. That's why Jesus said, I'm not making you, you've enjoyed fishing, I enjoy fishing. I love fishing. 
Fishing is my Sabbath. I catch the little fish, I let the little fish go. And then I go to the store and buy salmon. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not coming so you're going to be better fishermen. I'm coming to make you fishers of men. See the play on words there? Because we're called to not just enjoy the presence of God where we're going. We're, going. we're called to use the presence of God so that we can invite more in. You mean to tell me I'm supposed to be making disciples? Yes, indeed. That's what ambassadors do. God's commission to Moses was go be an ambassador. Here's, here it is, church. My biggest question of the day, just to see if you know the story because we haven't got there yet. So what is God's message that Moses is supposed to say to Pharaoh? It's over and over and over. Let my people go. Very good. What is your message as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? What is your message to the world around you? Let my people go was Moses. For us, it is this. Jesus has set you free. Live free. Free indeed. Galatians Five. I love it. If Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. He who the Son sets free is indeed free. We are free. Why? Not because of who we are, but because of who dwells in us and makes us holy, set apart. God has picked you as an ambassador, church. If you know Christ as your Savior, if He lives with you, 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal. What's the next word? Through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are set with a mission to set captives free, just like Moses was given a mission to set captives free. Listen, and you may have 15 million reasons why you're not the right guy or the right girl. You may have 15. Moses had eight really good reasons. It's going to be kind of funny to read these. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Some of the ones I came up with, they won't listen to me. They don't respect me. I'll lose my relationships. I can't speak good. You know, like that? I can't speak. I can't speak well. There, yeah. I can't speak. They might think I'm a crazy Bible thumper. These were all the same excuses Moses used. And they're all the ones we used to. I can't be an ambassador. I don't know enough theology. They're not going to respect me. I'm going to lose my relationships. I'm taking a, I'm taking a, a, a chance here, and I, I don't want to ruin what I've, what I've built for the last 30 years. Oh, for goodness sakes. Read the story of Moses. He had the same excuses for not taking the message of God to the people who needed to be free. In church, you live in communities with people who need to be freed. If God has set you free, bravo, don't sit down. Go, deliver. Take your cue from Moses. Well, Craig, I don't know, you don't know. I got a mountain to move here. I'm glad you said that. It brings me to my final favorite verse. Who can move a mountain? Who here can move a mountain? You want to drive out to the Rockies and see who here can move a mountain? Matthew seventeen twenty. For truly I say to you, Jesus says, if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Why? Because of who you are? Nope. But because of who goes with you. God's with you. He made, listen, God can't make a mountain. He can't move. And he can't fix what's been, he can always fix what's been broken. Do you know why we expect little things from God? Because we're satisfied with a little bit of faith. What if we lived by faith? 
What if our faith defined us? Stop being little engines who think that they can, because little engines can't. The story is flawed. By yourself, you can do nothing, but with Christ, you can do all things. Let's pray. Father, this is like a pump-me-up message, but it's only for those who walk with you. So more than anything else, lay upon us this deep desire to know you more, to surrender more to you, to be obedient more to you, not because we get anything out of it, but because we sure would like to see the power of God in our lives. Thank you for Moses and for the reminder that it doesn't matter who we are or who we've made ourselves into. It only matters who you are. May we live our lives with this enormous amount of faith in your power and your ability to use us. In Jesus' name.